All right, we're going to get into the word today. We are dealing with emotional health. And, and I, was, uh, I was overwhelmed in a good way. I was so happy at how many people came out on Wednesday night for our first emotionally healthy class. It was awesome. And if, if you held off on signing up for some reason, you just weren't sure, and, and by the end of the service today, you're like, I, I want to do it, just come talk to me. And we'll, we'll scrape together some books. We'll do whatever we got to do to share uh, on Wednesday so that everyone can be a part of it. And, uh, and we're looking forward to continuing to move forward this Wednesday. What we're doing on Sundays is each Sunday we're going to go through one of the marks of what emotionally healthy discipleship looks like. And, and so that's what we're going to be doing for seven Sundays. There's seven marks. And you'll see that those marks that we talk about on Sunday relate right into what we're dealing with on Wednesdays. And so today, our first mark that we're going to deal with is weakness and vulnerability. Hallelujah. Weakness and vulnerability. So this week, for our Wednesday class, there we are, our topic is know yourself that you might know God. Know yourself that you might know God. Now, that might be a, a strange concept to some of us. You're like, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to focus on myself. I'm just supposed to focus on Jesus. Well, no, listen. This is an important concept. Remember last week, we declared that the key to emotionally healthy discipleship is that we're going to love God well, love ourselves well, and love others well. And when Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment in all of the Bible, he quotes Deuteronomy when he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Well, think about this. How can you love God with all of your hearts if you don't know what's going on in your heart? How can you love God with all of your soul if you don't know who you are in your soul? How can you love God with all of your mind if you don't know what's going on in your mind. So we've got to know ourselves that we might know God. And, and there's going to be two key areas that, that we're going to be looking at on Wednesday. The first area of knowing ourselves is emotions. Is emotions. We have got to be able to honestly and freely experience our emotions. And honestly and freely share those emotions with others in, in, a, in a healthy way. And this can be hard for some of us. Some of us maybe grew up in a church tradition where we were taught that emotions are bad, right? Just ignore your emotions, stuff them away, don't deal with them, uh, whatever the case may be. Now listen, here's an important aspect of this. Our faith should never be based on our emotions, our faith is only based on the truth of God's word. But that doesn't mean that we throw out our emotions. In experiencing our emotions is a critical part of living the fullness of the life that God has called us to. And it's a critical part of knowing who we are and what is happening in our lives. So I'm going to share testimony with you because uh, one of the things we've been learning is silence and solitude and the daily office and getting quiet and alone with God, right? So Friday morning, I woke up, and it wasn't the middle of the night like I shared with you guys before. It was like 5 a.m. But I woke up from a weird dream, and I just woke up feeling distressed. Like, man, just something's wrong. I don't like the way I feel. That dream was weird. What's going on? And I wish I could tell you guys 
that I just immediately dove into my new behaviors. But I didn't. The first thing I did is I went right back to the old behavior, which is picked my phone up and started scrolling headlines to ignore my emotions. And after I did that for a little bit, then I just stopped. And I'm like, what am I doing? So I put my phone down, and I got out of bed, and I got into my prayer closets. And I started practicing the daily office and getting silent before the Lord. And towards the end of my daily office, as I'm silent before the Lord, God starts to peel me open a little bit and ask me about my emotions. Now, the thing I was dealing with maybe isn't a huge deal, but what's a huge deal is that I was able to process it with the Lord. You see, the night before, we had been at a track meet with Andrew, and we had been so excited because he hadn't been allowed to have a track meet for two years. But Andrew took one for the team for Kauai High and ran some events that, that he wasn't very good at because that's what the team needed. And so as a competitive dad, it was hard on me to watch my son run events that he knew he couldn't compete at. And so I hurt for him. But at the same time, I was so proud of him because he did what was best for the team. And he submitted himself to the coach. And so I'm wrestling with these emotions. Man, I'm hurting for him, but I'm so proud of him. But then what did that bring up? Well, it brought up that he's leaving in five months. And now, you know, I'm just so worried for him that he's going to go out into the world and he's going to experience pain and he's going to be struggle and he's going to be lonely and he's going to be depressed. But at the same time, I'm so proud of him because of the man of God he is. And he's going to go out and be so successful at what God has called him to do. And, and I just started processing all of these emotions. Now it gets even better. So fast forward, I, I go downstairs to the gym and I work out. And when I come back up to shower, Shannon is in the shower. So I'm like, now i got to wait my turn for the shower. So I'm standing there at the bathroom door, all sweaty and stinky. And I get my phone out and I turn it to karaoke mode so that I can see the lyrics. And I put a worship song on and I just start singing. I just start worshiping. And I tell you what. The goodness and the love of God just overwhelmed me. And suddenly I am weeping uncontrollably in the presence of God as I'm standing there stinky and sweaty in front of a closed bathroom door. And then wouldn't you know it, suddenly, unexpectedly, the bathroom door opens. And Shannon's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, nothing. Just waiting for the shower. Why am I sharing all this? Because my old way was I would just stuff my emotions, put my head down, and just get through the day. But I don't want to live that way anymore. Instead, I got to go into my day on Friday full of the goodness and love of God because I processed all of my emotions with him and was able to experience his manifest presence. There's something to this, you guys. Come on. There's something to this. We've got to experience our emotions. Listen, there is a Christian theologian named Longman and a Christian therapist named Allender. And they got together and they wrote this book combining theology and therapy together and the beauty of our emotions before God. And this is what Allender and Longman wrote. Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. Reality is where we meet God. Denying reality doesn't make us closer to God. 
We've got to experience our emotions. The second key area we're going to learn about on Wednesday is differentiation. I try to say that word five times fast. Differentiation. What does that mean? That means that we can differentiate ourselves from others. Right? We're trying to know our true selves. Well, a lot of times we live our lives pretending or we live our lives in a fake self. Why? Because we feel pressure to be what other people expect us to be, whether it's our parents or whether it's culture, or maybe we're people pleasers and we're just trying to act the way we think will make other people happy. Differentiation means I'm able to differentiate who I am from who you are. So your expectations don't define who I am. You being happy with me or unhappy with me doesn't define who I am. I'm able to differentiate myself from yourself. You guys following me on that? So these are the things we're going to be learning on Wednesday. So how does that tie into right now? Because in order to know ourselves and in order to be willing to find our true selves and get rid of the false self, we're going to have to grab onto this concept of weakness and vulnerability. And that's our first mark of emotionally healthy discipleship is weakness and vulnerability. So if you've got your notes, which are in your bulletin, they're in the church app, they're attached to this video on our website, or they're attached to this audio podcast. If you've got your notes, here's our big picture point today. The journey to emotionally healthy spirituality will require a theology of weakness and vulnerability that can be both foreign and terrifying in our stream of Christianity. It can be both foreign and terrifying in our stream of Christianity. What do I mean? Well, remember last Sunday, we talked about that we as a charismatic church are just one stream in the mighty river that is the church of God. And if we're going to get this emotionally healthy thing, we've got to learn from some of the other streams. It doesn't mean we're going to adopt their theology, but it, we can learn from them, right? And so there's the stream of Baptists. There's the stream of Catholics. There's the stream of Orthodox, the stream of Lutherans. There's all these other streams. But we have to be honest that in the stream of charismatic Christianity, we do not do weakness well. What do we do well? Faith and victory, right? We like to talk about how good we are and how strong we are and how victorious we are. And, and there's even some elements of the faith movement and charismatic Christianity where they think that if you actually admit a negative emotion, that it's a lack of faith or that you're bringing some sort of curse on yourself, right? And so in the charismatic church, we just like to talk about all the things that worked. Man, we had a great church service. Man, this small group really took off. Man, this person came to the Lord and their life was transformed. You know what we don't talk about is the church service that totally bombed or the small group that disintegrated because it didn't work or the person that left the church unchanged. Right? We like to talk about the victories, but we don't do well with the weakness and the vulnerability. So this concept can be foreign to us as charismatic Christians. It can be scary to us as charismatic Christians, but we want to learn from some other streams. The first church that I worked at in Arizona, I, was the, I became the youth pastor of the church. What did I learn in that church from the pastor? I learned that if you're going to be a leader in ministry, 
you have to always present the ideal image in front of the church. And so if you ever preach from the pulpit or if you're ever hanging out or counseling people, all you can do is teach the ideal image from the Bible and then make them think that you are the ideal image from the Bible. No weakness, no vulnerability. You just have to stand up in front of everybody and tell everybody how good God is and how blessed your life is. That's how I learned ministry. Then the second church that I went to continued to teach in that same vein, but also taught that to lead in the church, you had to remain separate from the people that you're leading, which means you couldn't be friends with the people that you were called to shepherd. You had to remain somewhat distant, somewhat aloof. And so my first two experiences in full-time church ministry taught me to be fake, to pretend that everything was okay and to be distant from people. Why? Because that's the stream of charismatic Christianity. Then the third church I got to in Washington was this whole different kind of church that taught me to be vulnerable and broken. In fact, one of the first times I sat down with my pastor, Pastor Bob, he wanted to know, like, what my ministry gifts were. And so I brought him a, a DVD of me speaking. And he said, okay, I'll listen to it. And so he went and he listened to it. And then a couple weeks later, we sat down again so that he could give me some evaluation of my speaking gift. And when we sat down, he said, Aaron, I watched your speaking, and I've got to tell you, you're perfect. He says, that's the problem. You're too perfect. No one's going to connect with you here. No one's going to relate to you here. And that was the beginning of my journey of learning how to be vulnerable and that I didn't have to be distant from the people that I led, that I could be in friendship and relationship and fellowship with the people that I led. We've got to learn this new theology of weakness and vulnerability. Let's go to the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 25. Paul writes this, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. I love this. Paul writes, the weakness of God is stronger than men. Think about that. If you could imagine what's the weakest aspect of God, any weakness you could imagine in God is still stronger than men. So we have to ask ourselves, would I rather have my strength or God's weakness? Well, God's weakness is stronger than my strength. And, of course, this is a paradox because we know there is no weakness in God. But would you rather have your own strength or God's weakness? Well, I would rather have God's weakness. He then goes on to say that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and he's chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. So think about this. The very reason that God chose us is because we were weak. And yet, we spend most of our Christian lives pretending to be strong in front of others. 
when the very reason God chose us is because we aren't strong. And so we come to church every Sunday pretending to be strong, pretending to be good. Everything's great. Hallelujah. I'm too blessed to be stressed. And we miss the whole point of why God chose us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul wrote this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, right? We are broken vessels. We are weak, broken human beings. And yet God still chooses to deposit his treasures inside of us. What are his treasures? His Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. He deposits those inside of us. Why? So that when we operate... We know that the power is coming from him and not from us so that he gets the glory and not us. So God is not looking for perfect vessels to put his treasures in. He's looking for broken vessels to put his treasures in. And again, in our stream of Christianity, we love the heroes, but we don't love the brokenness. I love this list that, that Pete Scazzaro writes in, in, in one of his books. He writes, Peter was a loudmouth with a short fuse. John Mark deserted Paul on the mission field. Timothy had ulcers and struggled with fear. Moses was a stutterer. Rahab was a prostitute. Amos' only training was in farming, and yet God called him to be a prophet to city folk. Jacob was a liar. The Samaritan woman had a whole string of divorces. Samson was a womanizer. Naomi was a poor widow. Jonah ran from God's will and wasn't willing to deal with his own racism. Gideon and Thomas doubted. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. Elijah was burned out. John the Baptist was loud and abrasive. Martha was a blamer. And Noah got drunk and shamed himself in front of his own sons. These are our heroes from the Bible. And we love to focus on the heroic things they did. And we miss the fact that they were broken vessels. And yet God put his treasures in them anyway. So we need a theology of weakness and vulnerability so that we can go into this emotionally healthy journey and be real with ourselves and be real with one another. So that's what I want to try to do here in just a few minutes is lay down this theology of weakness and vulnerability. And we're going to look at two people. We're going to look at Jesus and we're going to look at Paul. There are so many instances from Jesus' life where we can see that he modeled weakness and vulnerability for us. Think about this. He was born into poverty and obscurity. His early childhood was lived as a refugee in Egypt. Man, if you just ponder on the fact that Jesus was a refugee, it might change our politics on refugees. He grew up in a backwoods town. When somebody mentioned that the Messiah might be coming from Nazareth, everybody said, can anything good come from Nazareth? 
He grew up in a backwoods town that nobody thought anything about. He entered the ministry at 30 years old, having done nothing of note in his life. His triumphal entry into Jerusalem was on a donkey. He allowed himself to be arrested and treated like a criminal. And on the cross, he quoted a Bible verse. But rather than quoting a Bible verse about the victory of God, he quoted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus modeled weakness and vulnerability. But of all those examples, I want to go to a different one. Maybe the most scandalous example of all. Matthew chapter 26. Let's start in verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Keep going, Andrew. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. So what are we seeing here? How is Jesus giving us a theology of weakness and vulnerability? First, he freely experienced his negative emotions. It says he began to be grieved and distressed. Jesus freely experienced his negative emotions. I mean, we're okay with emotions when they're the positive ones, right? Happiness, joy, love, intimacy. That's great. But we have to be willing to experience the negative ones as well. The anger, the rejection, the abandonment, the fear, the anxiety. Jesus freely experienced his negative emotions. And then, this is amazing. Jesus confessed that his pain and his anxiety were too much to bear. He confessed that they were too much to bear. He said, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. He's saying, I can't handle this. This pain is overwhelming me. Who is this? This is Jesus, the king of the universe. Just openly confess to his followers that his emotions were too much for him to bear. So what did he do? He asked his closest friends to pray with him. Jesus needed the support of his friends. And then finally, what do we see? We see Jesus struggled to submit to the will of God. Three times he had to go to prayer to get his will to surrender to God's will. Right? This is the king of the universe. This is the leader of the movement of the kingdom of God. And in front of his closest followers, he completely falls apart. 
and says, I need help. This is too much for me. We don't preach this a lot. We don't preach this a lot. Jesus lays out for us that we can freely experience our negative emotions, not just internally, but out in the open in front of people, that we can confess to people that we don't know what to do. We don't know how to handle this. This is too much to bear. That we can ask people for help. We can say, I can't do this alone. And that we can admit that we struggle to submit to the will of God. This is all modeled for us by Jesus. Are you guys with me? Come on, now let's look at Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8. Paul is talking about a thorn in his flesh. He never tells us what the thorn in the flesh is. That was probably by design by the Holy Spirit. Because rather than critiquing Paul for his weakness, we can all relate to Paul because we've all got a thorn in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 8, he says, concerning this, concerning this thorn in the flesh that he's talking about, I implored, implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. All right? Paul begged the Lord, heal this in me. And God said, no, I'm not going to. Right? That just blows up anybody's theology that says God always heals if you pray in faith. Paul prayed in faith, heal this. And God said, no. Paul viewed his weakness as a gift from God. Why? Because it allowed him to live in more of God's grace and more of God's strength. God said, no, I'm not going to heal it. Because as long as you have this weakness... My grace is going to prove to be sufficient in your life. And as long as you have this weakness, my strength is going to prove to be perfect in your life. It's in our weakness that we experience more of God's grace and more of God's strength. So Paul says, and that's it, man. That's all I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about my weaknesses. I'm going to talk about being insulted and being distressed and being persecuted. I'm going to talk about difficulties. But that's not how we talk in the charismatic church. We talk about victories and glory and breakthrough. And yes, those things happen and they are good. But when we're willing to be vulnerable about our weaknesses and our brokenness, that's where we're going to experience who we truly are and the depth of who God is. And this amazing life that he has called us to. Remember we said last week our, our foundational point in this is that spiritual maturity and emotional health are inseparable, right? You can't have one without the other. Well, I love this timeline of Paul's life. 
the longer he walked with Jesus, the more aware he became of his weaknesses. Right? We think, man, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more mature I get, the stronger I'm going to get. No, for Paul, the longer he walked with Jesus, the more he became aware of his weakness. Check out this timeline. Let's start in A.D. 49 when he wrote the letter to the Galatians. And he was referring to the original apostles, right? Peter, James, John, the heads of the church in Jerusalem. And he said, what they were makes no difference to me. See, that sounds a little snarky to me. That sounds a little competitive. It sounds like maybe he's got a little bit of insecurity that he wants to be thought of on the same level as those guys, but... Most people don't, and so he's like, ah, I don't care. Whatever they are makes no difference to me. So we see a man struggling in his insecurities because maybe he wants to be seen in a certain way. Six years later, in A.D. 55, he writes to the church in Corinth, I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle. Six years later, he went from insecurity about these guys to, of all the apostles, I'm the least. Five years after that, he writes a letter to the church at Ephesus, and he says, I'm the very least of all the saints. So he went to being the least of all the apostles. Now he's like, I'm the least of anyone who calls themselves a Christian. The longer he walks with Jesus, the more aware he becomes of his own weakness. Three years later, he writes a letter to Timothy and says, I'm the worst of all sinners. The longer he walks with Jesus, the more aware he becomes of his own weaknesses. This is a theology of weakness and vulnerability that we can begin to embrace our emotions, our brokenness, our hurts, and our wounds and it doesn't show a lack of faith. It's actually going to deepen our faith and deepen our walk with God. And then when we can begin to experience that in front of others, at church, in small groups, we're going to find a new place in our spiritual maturity and in our growth in the Lord. This is what I want to do. Tony, if, if, if you're ready. Tony's going to hand a, a sheet out to everybody and, and maybe a couple guys can help him. I want to give you two tools to begin to practice vulnerability, right? Because this isn't something where just because I preached this amazing sermon up here, suddenly we're going to reverse decades of charismatic background, and all of a sudden we're all going to be really good at being weak. No, this is something we need to practice. We talking about practice? Sorry, I'm going Allen Iverson on you guys. All right. This is something we're going to practice. And so I want to give you two tools that you can use to begin to practice this. And so you can put this piece of paper in your Bible. You can tape it to your bathroom mirror. Of course, it's two-sided, so you might have to flip it up and down if you tape it to your bathroom mirror. But put this somewhere where you can begin to practice this. So let's start on the side that's got the picture of the painting. This is a painting by Rembrandt called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And Rembrandt did an amazing job of capturing the heart of this parable of the prodigal son. What do we see in this painting? We see the prodigal son dressed in rags. It looks like maybe his head is shaved. 
which was a sign of extreme mourning and shame, right, for, uh, for a Jewish person. He's dressed in rags. He's missing a shoe, right? So somewhere on his walk home, he lost a shoe. His other shoe is all torn up. And he is completely surrendered in the arms of his father. What else do we see in this painting? We see the older son, the brother that never left home, not joining in with the hug. It wasn't group hug time. He's standing off to the side with a haughty spirit, an arrogant spirit. So how are we going to use this painting to practice vulnerability? Well, we're going to use this as a tool. Every day we can look at this painting and we can ask ourselves, which one of these in the picture represents the condition of my heart today? We can ask ourselves, am I the prodigal son? What does that mean? That means, am I leaving the home of my loving father to go do things my own way? Am I walking away from God's will? Am I walking away from God's presence? Because I would rather do things my own way. And we can be honest with ourselves. Am I the prodigal son today? We can also ask ourselves, am I the older son? Am I practicing religion but allowing bitterness and pride to harden my heart? You see, the older son is a warning to us that we can actually obey the father and serve in the father's house and still be lost. All right, I got really quiet on that one. We can actually obey the Father and serve in the Father's house and still be lost. That's who the older son is. Am I the older son today? Am I going through the motions of religion, but pride is hardening my heart? Or, and this is where we want to be, am I the returning son today? Am I kneeling in the arms of my loving Father because I know that I'm sinful and desperately in need? Am I leaning into the embrace of my Father? Because I know that I'm very, very needy. We can look at this painting every day and check our hearts. And when pride is coming in, when stubbornness is coming in, we can remind ourselves, there's only one place I want to be, and it's broken in the arms of the Father. The other side is a prayer. We don't know who wrote this prayer. It's an anonymous prayer, but it's generally attributed to a soldier who is weary from the Civil War. And this is such a powerful prayer that we can just pray this every day to remind ourselves that weakness is not a bad place to be. Right? Weakness is not a bad place to be. In fact, let's just go ahead and read it together. As we're reading it together, the worship team can come back up today. You guys ready? Here we go. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. 
I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. Or you can change that to among all women. Most richly blessed. God doesn't always answer our prayers to make us strong, healthy, rich. But maybe he's answering the prayers we're not praying because he's making us humble, obedient, better, able to enjoy the life that he has called us to. I'm going to finish with this. I brought an onion today because I figure I'm going to make you cry one way or another. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) I want to encourage you. We're going on a journey that is revolutionary. Feeling emotions can be scary, especially if you've been stuffing them for years. Being transparent is scary, especially if you've been pretending for years. This is a difficult journey, and it can be overwhelming because one of the fears is, man, once I open that box to the emotions, they're all going to come out, and it's going to be too much. I want to encourage you today with the words of the Lord from Exodus 23. As he was talking about the children of Israel going into the promised land, he said, I will not drive them out before you in a single year that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. He said, listen, I'm not going to give it to you all at once because if I gave it to you all at once, it would be too much for you to handle. Instead, he says, I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. I want to encourage you today that we serve the God of little by little. He's not going to bring it all out at once because it would be too much for you. He's going to bring it out little by little. Like, of course, this isn't going to work because I'm up here in front of everybody. I even practiced this with another onion, but this one's not going to work. There we go. It's like peeling away the layers of the onion. You don't get right to the center of the onion. You peel it away one layer at a time. And when you get through a layer, you look a little different. Right? And then we get through another layer, and now we look completely different. And we can continue to peel away the layers of the onion. God is a little-by-little God. Let's start peeling away the layers of the false self, of the pretending, of the ignoring, of the denying our weakness. Let's start to peel away the layers so that what it looked like on the outside suddenly looks tremendously different. And it's more authentic to who God called us to be. Will you stand together with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, help us. We are a broken people, Lord. 
And we try so hard to look good. We try so hard to, because we feel like we're supposed to reflect a certain image, a certain ideal, who we're supposed to be strong, that everything's supposed to be okay. That if I admit that I'm broken, somehow I'm saying, God, that you're not good. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us to embrace our weakness and our brokenness. Help us to find your strength in the midst of it. Show us, Lord, that your treasures have been deposited in us, not because we are whole, but because we are broken. And, Lord, your treasures are going to shine through our brokenness, and a lost world is going to see your goodness and your glory. So, Lord, let us not run from it or hide from it. Let us not deny it. Let us begin to be honest with ourselves and with each other and honest with you, God. Honest when we're broken. Honest when we're overwhelmed. Honest when we don't know what to do. Honest when we don't know what choice to make. Honest that we're being stubborn and we're struggling to submit to God's will. That we would be honest, Lord, with one another. Honest with you. We want to be spiritually mature. We want to be emotionally healthy, God. So call us to these places of weakness and vulnerability. And Lord, little by little, begin to peel away the onion. Little by little. Lord, that we wouldn't live our lives in our strength. We would live our lives in your goodness. Jesus, would you just begin to do heart work right now? God, my prayer so passionately is that we would all begin to get this. Open us up, Lord, maybe before you first where it's safer and then in front of our Christian brothers and sisters and then maybe we would even be vulnerable in front of lost people who desperately need to see your goodness. Jesus, Jesus, do this great work in us, we ask. In Jesus' name.